In that particular book, one of the things that Pastor Osborne writes about are the growth phases of a church and how important it is for us to understand that growth changes everything. Are you with me this morning? Growth changes everything. And um, he compared the growth stages of a church from a startup, which is what we were eight and a half years ago. Uh, also, he included in that same category a storefront to a mid-sized church, to a large church, and even on to a mega church. And he compared all of those phases of church growth to various sports teams. The first one was the track star. Which is, the track star is when the leadership is just the pastor as the solo leader. And that was us when we began. We had support uh, roles behind that, but I was the sole only staff member when the church began. And then Sister Karen was the next one we brought, brought on very shortly thereafter. But then the second uh, phase he compares to a golf team. Which is when you have the pastor and a small golf team sized leadership team which is a handful of leaders that that just make up a very small team but here's something that's very important to understand golf is a friendship sport okay remember that golf is a friendship sport and then you have the basketball team and when a church has grown larger it moves from a friendship sport to a team sport. Can I get a witness this morning? Now listen, if y'all help me preach, it'll go quicker. If you don't, you're in for a long ride. Amen. Amen, somebody. A basketball team, though, listen, a basketball team has five players on the court, but it also has a bench to pull from. And winning basketball teams must have both role players and stars. Basketball teams, as we all know too well, can't win with stars alone. Are you with me this morning? They must have role players, teammates who play together as a team. Too many self-identified stars and just one basketball is a formula for a lost game every time. Say amen, somebody. And at the time of this staff retreat, two, a little over two years ago, we all agreed that our church was a basketball team. Next, we have the football team. And this is when the leadership team, that's your staff, the board or council members, deacons, and the ministry department heads, when that number increases to 15 to 25 people or more, it starts to function more like a football team. And let me tell you something this morning. This, this kind of change can be very unsettling for those folks who prefer golf or basketball. Do I have your attention? It can be very unsettling. It can be very difficult. And for those who think they are still playing golf or basketball, it can be downright dangerous. Y'all take your golf skills... And go out on, the, on, the, uh, on Campbell Field in the Red Hound football stadium in the middle of a football game and try to tee off. Are you with me? You're liable to get your brains knocked out. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Those who think they're still playing golf or basketball, they're entirely different sports. It can be very dangerous when this change is made. Because football, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today, is a game of highly specialized roles. But football is so complex that even the coach has to watch films before he knows what happened in the game. Notice these characteristics about football. Very few players, very few roles are interchangeable. 
You, find, you seldom find a guard who becomes a quarterback. Uh, teamwork is more important than one-on-one skill. It also becomes, listen to this, more difficult to maintain camaraderie on a football team because of the larger number of players and their distinctively different roles. While golfing teams have the leisure to enjoy long lunches together and a basketball team goes everywhere together, a football team is divided into the offense and the defense and they take two buses to the ball game. Are you with me? Some teammates hardly even know each other on the team. For members of a leadership team that once played golf or basketball together, let me tell you, this stage of growth can be an especially difficult adjustment. Team members who are used to being in on everything may begin to feel insignificant. They may begin to feel left out. They might begin to feel no longer a vital part of the team. And that explains why sometimes key members and sometimes even board members and staff members who once rejoiced over the idea of growth and they actually help produce growth, They suddenly turn sour when real growth actually happened. Are you with me this morning? They're too uncomfortable with the new roles and the patterns of relationship that come with playing the new game. And so here's what Pastor Osborne had to say about that. He said, as a ministry grows, some players won't be able to make the change. Some won't want to make the change. But there is nothing you or they can do about it. At this size, the game has simply changed. The only question is whether they will put on pads and get off the sidelines or whether they'll stand there unprotected and get run over. That's the harsh reality this morning. Micah back there plays football for UC and he's smiling and nodding at me this morning. So let me, that's all I want to tell you about that in that book to give you the background of where we are today. But now let me change gears just a minute before we read the scripture and let me tell you what God has been doing in case you didn't realize, since we moved across town less than six months ago. Since we moved less than six months ago, we have seen 12 people accept Jesus as their personal Savior. We have seen 18 people who were backslidden and away from God come back to Jesus and rededicate their lives to Him. We have baptized 17 people in water. We have seen four people baptized with the Holy Ghost. And 38 people have made the decision to officially become a member of Freedom Point Church. I think we ought to praise God for that this morning. You're going to see that membership number increase in just a few weeks. And I'll never forget the first day that MPK, which is our nursery, preschool, kindergarten program, and ESM, which is elementary school ministry, had a combined total after we moved here. So y'all got to understand, you know that song that we used to sing in the old church, Look Where He Brought Me From? We went from having 30 on a huge day, 40 kids in kids' church over there, and I'll never forget the first day that MPK and ESM in this building had a combined total of 81 children, 5th grade and under. And as I was leaving the second service, I was heading toward my office. And I looked up that long ramp hallway that goes back to kids' ministries. And Kayla and Angela were walking down that ramp, and both of them still had the deer in the headlights look. I was like, you all okay? Kayla looked at me. I wasn't even prepared for the question. She looked at me, and it didn't hit me right off, and she said, why didn't you tell us we were playing football? I said, huh? 
why didn't you tell us we were playing football? And then it hit me, and I was like, oh, because I'd already heard the report of how many kids they have. But let me tell you about those kids. Some of those kids, they're all still on the roster. They're all returning, not necessarily every week at the same time, but they're all returning in and out uh, for kids' ministries back there. Some of those kids come to discipleship classes on Wednesday nights with different leaders that are not on staff, other people on the volunteer leadership team. But can I tell you, some of those classes need to be divided, and we need more teachers in order for that to happen. But children's ministry is just one small example that I could use today. I want to say this. We need more teammates in various positions on the team. There is a place for you to serve. And I hope the Lord will help me get that across to you today. A place where you are needed. A place where you can and will make a difference. But i got to ask you this morning, do you really realize, do you really realize that your answer to the call to serve can impact an entire city for God? Do you really realize that? Your answer, not what I do, not what Pastor Dwight does, not what Nicholas does or Darla or anybody else. What you do, your answer, your decision to answer the call of God to serve can be the answer that makes a difference in an entire city. So I'm I'm begging you today, I'm beseeching you as Paul did, don't stay on the bench. And listen, if this is not your home church and you have a home church and you're going back to your home church, carry this message with you. And go back to that home church and don't sit on the bench. Get on the team and do what God's called you to do. Stand with me all over the house. We're going to read from the book of Jonah, chapter 2 and verse 10. Then we'll be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And then we'll drop down to verse 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out on the beach. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up, say get up, and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, say this time. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds. For those of you that thought you needed a motivational message, here was Jonah's message. Forty days from today, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Right? The people of Nineveh, though, listen. The people, that was a harsh message. I've been talking a lot about preaching truth and not sugarcoating it, not watering it down. That was a harsh message. Jonah said, 40 days from today, it's going to be destroyed, boys. The next verse said, The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. Drop down to verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. And he did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for your presence we've already felt in the worship. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for every person, precious person represented in this building. Lord, I pray right now for the next few moments that you would, God, you would just block and remove every hindrance, every distraction, Lord, that would take away from your word today and what you want to speak to your people. Anoint these lips of clay that I don't speak my words, but Lord, I speak your word and that it will come forth in power and the demonstration of your spirit. God, anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive your word here today that, Father, before this service is over today, we will make a decision to get in the game and play the position that you've given us to do. We'll give you the glory the honor and the praise for it all in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, 
Amen. You may be seated. Because of Jonah's obedience, because he decided to get off the sidelines and get in the game, because he made the decision to play the position that God had given him to play. Did you catch that? It was the position that God gave him to play. An entire city was spared. There were 120,000 people in Nineveh. And I believe that God wants to do something in this city. I said, I believe that God wants to do something in this city. Does anybody believe that with me this morning? And I don't believe that God's looking for one big shot superstar to do it. Don't get me wrong. Superstars are great. Everybody loves a superstar. But let's face it. If we're honest, the church world as we know it has plenty of superstars today. We got plenty of big shots, church celebrities, if you will. I read their books, some of them. You read their books. There's people right now that's going to turn me off and turn on Jensen. You know what I'm saying today. That's all right. Jensen preaches the word. But I believe that God wants to use some folks uh, who are sitting on the sidelines. Some folks who maybe don't know exactly what God wants them to do or what they can do to help the team and build the kingdom, but they're willing to get off the bench and fill in the gaps and then play their position. Some folks who might have even had a hard time uh, even finally getting to the bench. Uh, some folks who may have felt like they didn't even belong to start with and they're just content and they're comfortable to have a seat on the bench and still be able to say, hey, at least I made it to the ball game. But I believe that God wants to make a game-changing difference through several somebodies who haven't ever seen much play in time on the field yet. As we play this game of football together, figuratively speaking, as we are out on the field trying to win for Jesus. Isn't that what it's about? As we're out on the field trying to win for Jesus, folks, we cannot afford to overlook those who are on the sidelines or still seated on the bench. Let me tell you what happens when you overlook those. After being a starting quarterback on his college team, there was a young man who spent four years without being named to an NFL roster. Nobody would even give him a look. And finally, in 1994, he was signed by the Green Bay Packers. However, he never even stepped foot on the field in a regular season game before they not only benched him, but they released him, let him go. He went home and he began working. Listen to me, young people who's wanting to make all this money today. He began working for $5.50 an hour at the local grocery store. And he finally made his way to the AFL, the Arena Football League. And he played there for the next three years. And he made it back to the NFL in 1998. And he was, he was sitting the bench as a backup on the Rams football team. And finally, he became the St. Louis starting quarterback the following season. And during his first season as an NFL starting quarterback, Kurt Warner led what we know as the greatest show on turf. He led the offense uh, of the team to the Rams' first Super Bowl title in Super Bowl 34, earning him a league MVP and a Super Bowl MVP. And he won his second league MVP award in 2001 en route to a Super Bowl 36 appearance. And he also appeared in Super Bowl 43 with the Cardinals. Do you know that Kurt Warner is now considered the NFL's greatest undrafted player? He is the only undrafted player to be named NFL MVP and Super Bowl MVP, as well as the only undrafted 
quarterback to lead his team to a Super Bowl victory. He is also the first quarterback to win the Super Bowl during his first season as a primary starter. Warner was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2017. He was a bench warmer. Say bench warmer. Who finally got off the bench and made a difference. If you'll direct your attention to the screen, I want to share a short video with you about Kurt Warner this morning. His testimony. I'm Kurt Warner, Super Bowl 34 champion, St. Louis Rams. The 1999 Rams were the NFL's highest scoring offense, nicknamed the greatest show on turf. The team's quick strike passing game was led by Kurt Warner's sudden rise from undrafted backup to the league's celebrated newcomer. That kind of success that early was, I think, the surprise to me, how quickly it came in my first season in the NFL. But here I am at 28, and it was like God sped up the whole career. His impact was immediate, turning a last place team into a division winner and leading the Rams to their first playoff appearance in St. Louis as the NFC's top seeded team. His ascent launched him to stardom and led him to the first of three Super Bowls. How difficult is it to reach that game? It's, I mean, it's so difficult. So many things have to go in your favor. It's such a special thing when you put it all together. The chemistry that we had in the locker room with one another, the unselfishness amongst players. It led to Super Bowl 34 and a matchup against the Tennessee Titans, two 13-3 teams contending in one of the most dramatic fourth quarter finishes ever, a game Kurt savored from the start. Running out of the tunnel being announced at that Super Bowl and seeing the flashes go off was really the first moment for it to really sink in what had happened that year. It was just about the journey that God had taken me on. But the journey was just beginning after taking a storybook turn when the Titans kicked a game-tying field goal. I just remember talking to Coach Vermeil on the sideline, and he looked at me and just said, you know, this is, this is how you write it. You know, this is, this is what you want. Two minutes to go, quarterback, ball in your hands, lead your team down to, to win a Super Bowl. Kurt did on the Rams' first play, a 73-yard pass to Isaac Bruce. It was called trips right, uh, ace right, 999. F seam H balloon. I left it a little bit behind. Isaac, uh, he adjusts to it and makes the catch. And I was laying on the ground and listened to the crowd going crazy. Now we're ahead with a chance to win it. Kurt watched from the sideline as the Titans took their final drive down the field against the Rams defense. That's always the hardest thing. We always want to have it in our control. But the hardest part about football, it's a team sport in that you can't do it by yourself. Everybody will remember the reach by Dyson for the end zone. One yard difference between winning and losing. Those are the games that ultimately will be remembered. The goal line tackle preserved the Rams win. Kurt was named the game's most valuable player to go along with his MVP season. Just two years later, the Rams lost to the Patriots in Super Bowl 36. Is there consolation in defeat? It's not all about winning. You can win and losing. Success isn't defined by whether you have more points than the other guy. That's not how God defines it. It's defined by the journey. It's defined by where you find yourself and how far you've traveled and who you've become along the way. Along the way, Kurt became one of three NFL quarterbacks to start for two different Super Bowl teams, resurrecting his career at 37 with the 2008 Arizona Cardinals, who lost to the Steelers in the game's final 35 seconds. Kurt earned a beloved place in Phoenix.
you know, I was done, my career was over, he can't play anymore. Arizona will never win, we'll never go to a Super Bowl, it's just not gonna happen. And we found ourselves in a place where nobody saw themselves. When we were able to take that journey here, a community came together around a football team. The prolific quarterback still holds three Super Bowl passing records and hits the mark on defining his place among wins and losses. When it comes to comparing achievement with a relationship with a creator, how does that compare? What happened on the cross ultimately defines Jesus and defines all of us. And what many saw as a loss um, was our greatest win. He won. And that speaks to our everyday lives, um, but it also speaks to our Savior. That's what He created us for, was for relationship. And without that, what at the end of the day do we really have? Amen. So Kurt Warner went from being an undrafted backup to NFL's most celebrated newcomer. Listen, he had suffered rejection. Anybody ever suffered rejection? He was forced to take a different route to the NFL. He didn't make it there the first time. But he did make it there in God's time and in God's way. Can I tell you this morning, you say, Pastor, what does that have to do with what you're preaching on today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jonah didn't make it to Nineveh the first time either. He went a different route. Somebody help me preach this morning. See, instead of going the traditional route to uh, Nineveh, Jonah got on a ship at Joppa that was headed toward Tarshish. He was trying to avoid playing his position. But the Lord, say the Lord. The Lord caused a big fish to swallow Jonah, and that whale transported him to where God wanted him to be. And although Jonah had avoided God, and he had gone the untraditional route, all the while, God was positioning him for purpose. Let me read to you again, Jonah chapter 2 and verse 10. The word said, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. You know what had happened right before that then? Was Jonah praying and saying, All right, God, if you'll get me out of here, then I'll do it. But I want to give you just a little bit of background this morning. Morning, so you get a picture of the significance of this here. See, Joppa was only a few minutes from the Philistine city of Ashdod. Ashdod means ravager. And you may recall that it was there that the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant when they captured it in battle. And they placed it in the temple before their God. Not our God. Their God was Dagon. Anybody know about the God of Dagon? Dagon was the national God of Philistia. Devin's over here this morning. He knows about it. But his origin was from Nineveh. Dagon was a fish god. He was half man and half fish. He had the, hand, the head, the hands and the upper torso of a man but he had the body and the tail of a fish and that's who they worship. The Babylonians even had their versions of the fish god, half man and half fish. So see what you have to understand what was going on here was these people in the city of Nineveh were a people who worshipped a fish god. Are you with me? There was a certain way that God needed to get their attention
attention so that they would understand that Jonah's God was the one true God. Can I tell you, it takes a certain aspect for God to help us get their attention to where they realize that their God can be their God. Are you with me this morning? So Jonah gets spat out on the beach on this shore on his way to Nineveh, the people who worship the fish God. So when that bleached purple prophet was vomited out by that whale on that shore in the land of the fish God, people immediately began to talk and word immediately started getting out. And here comes this man up out of the ocean. He walks like a man. He looks like a man. He talks like a man. But he smells like a fish. Are you with me? So when he opened his mouth, he already had the people's attention. And when the people responded to the message, an entire city was saved. All because Jonah, watch this, with the smell of his own disobedience all over him. Still, he decided this time, say it again, this time, this time he was going to play his position. Kurt Warner turned a last place team into a Super Bowl winner after he got off the bench and he played his position. God took a first place disobedient failure. Have you ever felt like that? A first place disobedient failure and turned him into one of the biggest soul winners of all time. When Jonah finally decided to pray in the belly of that whale and agree to do it God's way. He agreed to get in the game and play his position. And I believe that God also has been positioning us for purpose. I believe that it was him who changed our plans from building a 24,000 square foot facility that was north of this city. And he is the one that almost pretty much gave us a 50,000 square foot facility in the heart of our city to remodel. I don't know when else in my lifetime or my commercial banking career that I've ever heard tell of somebody buying a 50,000 square foot building on four acres in the middle of the city and paying $358,000 for it. Only God can do that. Because why? God is positioning us for purpose. Do you believe that? I believe he's calling some people this morning, though, to get off the sidelines. To get out of those comfortable seats and get in the game. Listen to me, church. I believe, you might think I'm crazy when I say this, but I believe that we are on the brink of a modern-day Nineveh move. I do. I, don't, I know we don't have 120,000 people living in the city of Corbin. We got maybe... 10 or 11,000 in the city limits. But I believe we are on the brink of a modern day Nineveh move. And that's simply just a move that can turn this entire city upside down for the kingdom of God. I'd love to see the power of God move throughout this community in a way that the drug epidemic just begins to decline. People get saved. People go through rehab. People get delivered. People get set free. It can happen and it will happen when God gets in the arrangements. Kurt Warner said this, the first quote I want to share with you. He said, football is a team sport. You can't do it by yourself. Jonah, those of you this morning that are like Jonah, listen to me. Get off the bench. We need you. You belong to another church? Get off the bench. Your pastor and your leadership team needs you. The future of this city, listen to me, the future of this city could be dependent on your obedience. It doesn't all hinge on my obedience. 
God was dependent on Jonah to the point that he was willing to do whatever it took to get Jonah where he needed to be. Listen, don't force God to take you a different route. Anybody ever got there a different route before? I have. But God will do what he has to do in order to get his people saved. Don't refuse to get in the game this morning. If it's you that he's waiting on, you might have to take a different route. But he'll make sure you get there. You can answer that tug that you feel right now or you can refuse to go through to do it. And you can go through your own belly of hell experience. But my God, it's my prayer that we'll get in the game this morning and play our position at the first call. Say amen somebody. Next, Kurt Warner said this. You can win in losing. That's a different aspect. Success isn't defined by whether you have more points than the other guy. That's not how God defines it. It's defined by the journey. It's defined by where you find yourself, how far you've traveled, and who you've become along the way. Listen, maybe this morning you feel insignificant or you feel reluctant to get in the game for fear that you won't succeed. But listen to me this morning. Don't measure your success by some worldly point-keeping system. The church as we know it has gotten a little bit involved in that worldly point-keeping system. Got a thousand people coming to church? That's wonderful. Praise God for it. But that's not the point-keeping system that God's keeping up with. Are you with me this morning? The the point-keeping system God's keeping up with is if you got a thousand people going to heaven. Because you can have a thousand people. Boy, y'all quiet up in here this morning. You can have a thousand people in the church, but not all thousand of them going to heaven. That's the world's point-keeping system. God, give us a church that will preach the uncompromising truth of the Word of God till we see lost souls saved and lives changed for the kingdom. He said, measure it by the journey. Where you find yourself in that journey right now. How far you've already come and what God has done in your life. And know that God will take you farther. And your success will grow greater and greater as you get in the game. And as you play your position on the team. Church, listen. We have absolutely nothing to lose. When we get in and serve and play our position on the team. But we have many souls to gain. When we're playing our position on God's team. And lastly, I want to share with you this morning what Kurt Warner said. He said, what happened on the cross ultimately defines Jesus and it defines all of us. What many saw as a loss was our greatest win. Hallelujah. He won. I said he won. Jesus won. You want to play on a team that never loses? Get on Team Jesus. He's never lost a battle. He's never lost a competition. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never let you down. If God can tell you from experience, if God tells you to plant a church, it don't matter that people look you eyeball to eyeball and say it'll never last six months. It'll never go anywhere. You'll never do anything for the kingdom. If God said do it, God will bring it to pass. Hallelujah. Jesus won. If they'll come to the music this morning. Folks, that alone is the greatest message of all time. Jesus won. That's the gospel. That's our mission. And I know I'm not saying it the way we've always said it in church, but that's our purpose for this team that I'm talking about today. Kurt Warner said that's what, what he created us for. That's what he created us for. But listen, listen, we can't effectively communicate that message 
from a seat on the bench. I, I feel an urgency in my spirit this morning, even when I preach this to you. We, there's an urgency that all of us get in the game and play our position because it takes the whole team working together to accomplish the mission of carrying the message to our city. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. I, I told the 845 crowd this morning, so I'll tell you. Sometimes I kind of get out, some get put out sometimes with some of those people that you ask them how they're doing, and 110% of the time it's, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. If you just ever wanted to say, you ain't telling the truth. <laughs> Is it hard sometimes? You better believe it's hard. And now for those of you that work and serve in any kind of ministry in this church, this is your time to, to get in right here. Is it, is it work? Uh-huh. You better believe it's work. But is it worth it? <laughs> Whoo! I said, is it worth it? Listen, you better believe it's worth it. I don't know if she's here this morning or not. But every time, and I know I tell the story a lot, but every time now that I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see those uh, ultrasound pictures of Michaela Mays who's getting ready to have a baby. And I remember back over on American Greeting Card Road several years ago when she walked in addicted to drugs, walked in addicted to alcohol, walked in as a lesbian who looked like a man. We had a greeter at that time. I knew she was a woman because I knew who she was bringing her to church. But we had a greeter one time and he doesn't go here anymore. Not because of that, but he just don't go here anymore. But anyway, he was standing at the door. He was trying to be kind. He wasn't doing anything out of order. He said, Mama, that's a good-looking boy you got there with you today. I thought, oh, sweet Jesus, help me now. Because she walked in addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol. She was a lesbian. She looked like a man. And I have watched God. Is it worth it? Oh, you better believe it's worth it. I saw God deliver her from drugs and deliver her from alcohol. I saw God deliver her from lesbianism. Give her her a natural love for the opposite sex and then send a godly man into her life. They united in marriage and now there's a baby on the way. God will do it. Woo! Hallelujah. I said God will do it. Is it worth it? You better believe it's worth it. Listen to this and I'm going to close. Let's go back and read verse 5 of chapter 3. People of Nineveh believed God's message. I told you what the message was this morning. And I asked a question on Facebook a couple weeks ago that was really in preparation for this sermon. And I'm convinced after asking that question, it was about truth and conviction and offense. And I'm convinced now more so than ever that it is the devil who has made pastors and preachers think oh don't preach on that that one will get offended oh don't talk about that that one will get upset oh don't I know of a church where a man preached on homosexuality and there was a homosexual person playing instruments in the platform and the pastor told him afterward don't say that word here anymore you ain't allowed to say that word here anymore I want to tell you something this morning I know that's not popular I know people get uncomfortable when you talk about that but after I ask that question after I read this message that message said 40 days from today boys you got 40 days to get it right and then God 
what's going to destroy the city. I'm convinced now, more than ever before, that there is a generation. They don't want you to water it down. They don't want you to sugarcoat it. They want you to preach the true, uncompromised, unadulterated Word of God. You know why? That's the only thing that will set people free. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, verse 10. And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Listen, it was worth it then and it's worth it now. It's worth it today. If you'll stand with me all over the house. When the people believed God's message and they allowed that message to change their way of living, then God changed his mind and spared the people. This is what I want to close with today. In this story, I need you to understand this. In this story, we are never given a plan B. There was not a plan B in this story because the only plan that God has or had was for Jonah to get in that game and play his position. Are you with me? If God had had a plan B, he would have just forgot about Jonah and said, well, he's hopped on at Joppa and he's headed toward Tarshish. Just let him go do his thing. I'm going to use somebody else. But God didn't. God didn't use somebody else because he didn't have a plan B. God would have never taken Jonah through the belly of hell experience to get him to where he wanted him to be. See, the reality is that God knew. I told you last week, God knows. I don't know what he's dealing with you about, but God does. God knew. God knew there was too much at stake if Jonah was not the man to play the position. God knew an entire city was hanging in the balance had Jonah not played his position. I want to tell you something this morning. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit when I say this. Your position on the team will make a difference. Your position on the team will make a difference. Your contribution on the team, though you might feel even insignificant, it will make a game-changing difference. Here's the last thing I want to leave you with, and we're going to open this altar today. Have you stopped to consider if you don't answer the call to play your position, whatever that is that God gives you, have you ever stopped to consider how many souls are hanging in the balance. How many souls are dependent on you saying, my life is not my own. To you I belong. How many souls are dependent on you saying, take me, mold me, use me, feel me. I give my life to the potter's hand. Any of you got lost family this morning, lost loved ones that you're praying for? Their salvation might just be dependent on your obedience I said their salvation might just be dependent